You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. How about we pray as we open God's Word together today? Lord God, we just humble ourselves before you right now. And we just invite you by your Holy Spirit to speak powerfully to us. Bring your word alive in our hearts, God. Shape us, grow us, make us more like your son as we take time to sit in your word, as we take time to reflect on your word, and as we allow you by your spirit to really work the word deep into our hearts. And Lord, as that happens, that we would be those who would would be doers of the word, not just hearers as well. And there'd be beautiful things flowing out of our lives as a result of sitting under your word, even today, we pray. So God, have your way, speak to us, and may we continue to just marvel at the wonder of your story, God, and our place in it and the incredible plans that you have for anyone who would trust in you. And we praise you, Jesus, and we pray all of this in your precious name. Amen. Are you becoming the person God's calling you to be? Who are you becoming? Laura and I often list listen to this podcast. It's a parenting podcast, and the hosts regularly talk about just how important it is that parents are always becoming, that they're not just static, that they're not just settled for for how things have always been, but they're taking steps to grow, to become and continue to develop. And this is a Christian podcast too. It's a it's a, a clinical psychologist and his wife, and they're always talking about this process of becoming, which is continually growing in God's likeness, learning through surrounding yourself with good people, people who love Jesus, and through listening to and obeying Holy Spirit. And then as we do that, the whole idea is that we're not, we're not the kind of people that would shy away from or try and minimise any character flaws or um, that sort of thing that might be at play in our lives, but that we would identify and work on them. That's what they're talking about in terms of becoming. And they're talking essentially about what theologians would call sanctification, the process of daily growing and becoming more and more like Jesus. And we only need to look at Scripture. We only need to open Scripture to see that the Christian faith is full of the ahs and the not yets. You know? Like, think about this. Scripture says that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified. It's it's a given thing. You are justified. Colossians 1, 13 to 14, for example. And then scripture also says that you are a new creation in Christ. That's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it also says, and these are just three of many, 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 but scripture also says that you are 
holy and blameless in his sight. That's in Colossians 1, 22. And scripture says that, that while the old is gone and the new has come, we are new creations and we no longer live as we once did. That's what scripture says. But we live free. We live in freedom through Jesus' sacrifice and victory over sin. Scripture also says that we are not yet. We're not yet complete, are we? We're not yet complete. You see, we are legally justified and perfect in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. But, maybe this is just me, but if I ever actually look at myself and my actions and my motivations and my heart at times, I see that I'm far from perfect. I'm far from perfect in my character, in my motivations, in my heart. And we read the Bible and we see over and over again that God is inviting us on a journey with him. God is inviting us to continue in this process of growing in his son's likeness, in continuing to have soft hearts so we can be shaped and guided by Holy Spirit, to continue this process of sanctification, daily growing and becoming more like Jesus. Now, who knows that becoming Christ-like doesn't just happen. You don't kind of fall into being like Jesus, do you? Like, there's intentionality is required. I know when I became a Christian, and I'm sure Laura, my wife, could tell you, even now that I've been a Christian for many, many years, there are plenty of things in my life, character flaws, weaknesses, that don't reflect or bring honour to Jesus. There are things at play in my life, motivations, desires, plenty of things that need serious, serious work. And I would say this is true for all of us. I think it's true for you today. There are things in my life that actually have the potential to, left unchecked, to actually derail and destroy me. Derail and destroy my very life and stop me from becoming the kind of man that God is calling me to be if I don't deal with them, if I don't deal with them. Let me ask this today. Are we aware of our own character flaws and vulnerabilities? Are we, with God's help, actively dealing with them? Not just sitting back and going, oh, that's too much for me to handle, you know, whatever. But are we joining with God and actively dealing with them and growing in God's likeness? Or are we proudly refusing to deal with them? Have we stopped becoming? You know, in our God story so far, we've seen what happens when people go through life refusing to acknowledge their shortcomings. Or, even sadly, what happens when people give in to temptations and walk in the very opposite direction, away from God? Proverbs 16:18 says that pride goes before a fall. And we've seen over and over again that disobeying God and walking away from him just doesn't go well for anyone. Israel and its leaders choose to sin and they fall over and over again. And despite God's continual grace and mercy and faithfulness in restoring them, 
to enjoy close relationship with him. They just continue in this horrible cycle. And this was highlighted in the book of Judges. And we'll see this morning that this is a pattern that sadly continues, albeit differently, when Israel unites as one kingdom under one king. As Tim and and I touched on the last couple of weeks, this period was one when Israel lived largely in opposition to God, doing what they thought was best. A key phrase towards the end of Judges, Judges 21, 25, puts it this way, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Or, other translations, everyone did as he saw fit. Israel, in this time, they really lacked good, strong, godly political leadership and spiritual leadership as well. And God's promises to Abraham were looking more and more like they were just never going to be fulfilled. And 1 and 2 Samuel continue on in this period, and they focus on Israel's shift from being ruled by this series of judges, where they're more in tribes, to being ruled by kings as a united kingdom. And in the first chapter of 1 Samuel, we're introduced to Samuel, who, Scripture says, is actually a man of integrity. He is very much unlike those who went before him. You can read that in 1 Samuel 2. He served God faithfully. He served his people faithfully. And Scripture says he was actually always seeking God's best for them. And as a result of this, he was rightly revered as Israel's spiritual leader at the time. So things were going all right for a while until the mighty Philistines come along. And Israel see this new enemy and they think, they basically did what was right in their own eyes and asked Samuel to give them a human king to judge and lead them instead of God. And here's how it went down, 1 Samuel 8, 6-7. But the thing, that is asking for a human king to judge them, displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Do you see that? Like Proverbs 16.2, All the person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. The people ask, and it seems at first glance like a reasonable request. And yet God knows the motives of their hearts. God knew that this request was actually them continuing on their path of rebellion. They were taking yet another step away from from submission and trusting and worshipping God and God alone. This was the moment, theologians say, where Israel resolved to shift away from a theocracy where they live with, with God as their direct leader and king, to a monarchy where they live under the direct leadership of a human king, who ideally would be following God still, but doesn't always go that way. And from reading 1 Samuel and God's story so far, we we discover that this is actually not God's ideal plan for his people. And yet, God being the good and gracious God that he is, 
and very patient God that he is, he grants their request and he gives them what they think is best, a king. And here's the problem Israel faced and and I'd say it's one that we regularly face too. Sometimes what we think is actually going to be best for us doesn't actually turn out to be best for us at all. Sometimes God actually gives us what we desire to teach us a lesson and show us that he alone is what or he alone is who we actually need. And that's essentially what happens for Israel with their king. They discover the hard way that what they think is going to be good for them isn't actually going to be as good for them as they thought. God leads an aging Samuel to appoint Saul as the king over the new kingdom of Israel. And it's in chapters 9 to 10 of 1 Samuel, if you want to check it out. And Samuel declares Saul to be unlike any other among all the people. And how does the nation of Israel respond? 1 Samuel 10, 24. This is how they respond. It says, All the people shouted, Long live the king. They were, they were behind him. They were thinking it was going to be good. And you look at, look at the account. Things were good for a while. Saul led Israel to victory over the Ammonites, and he doesn't take the glory for himself, but he actually gives God the glory. But before too long, Saul, the, the strong, handsome, fearsome in battle king who kind of looks the part in each and every way, he compromises. He makes an unlawful sacrifice to God and then he makes a rash vow. And his true heart, his true heart and character, his character flaws start coming to the fore. And eventually Saul's actions lead God to actually reject Saul. And as 1 Samuel 15.35 says, to actually regret that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now here's the thing, like Saul looked like a king on the outside. He is strong, he's handsome, he's mighty in battle, he's a king's king. But his internal heart state is flawed. His internal heart state is is one of pride and arrogance. He's not the pure, righteous king that Israel actually need. And Saul, and I guess in saying this, I'm taking into account his overall life, his overall posture over his entire life, he he chose not to deal seriously with his own character flaws and, in a sense, he stopped becoming He didn't continue to grow in God's likeness and he suffered the consequences for his sin. As James 4.6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God did oppose Saul for his pride. There's no doubt about that. And then God regrets appointing Saul and then God leads Samuel to anoint a second man as king of Israel, David, the son of Jesse. And the rest of 1 Samuel, it explores in great detail this conflictual, complicated relationship between the hostile, sinful, and increasingly paranoid Saul and the humble and faithful to God, David. 
Now, you've probably thought of it in this way too. I remember as a, as a kid hearing it painted this way as well. You know, we can often think, when we think of Saul and David, we can think of Saul equals evil, David equals good. Yeah? Like that, that very simple way of looking at the two. And look, there's no doubt on the whole that David's story is one of greater faithfulness and better leadership than Saul, but we only need to look at Scripture to see that David too is far from perfect. David is. He's the one who is described as a man after God's own heart. You can see 1 Samuel 13, 14 um, or Acts 13, 22. But... Even a man after God's own heart is not without his faults. Like Saul, David suffered the consequences of his own sin, of his own pride, with one key event standing out far and above all others. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David makes a series of tragic choices, and they are tragic choices in relation to another man's wife, Bathsheba. For those who might be here or listening and might be unfamiliar with the story, let me paint the picture. David's hanging out in his residence. He heads to his roof. He sees this beautiful woman bathing on her roof, which let's just make this straight, all right? Sometimes people think, oh, well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been doing that because she's, she's like say, saying, hey, look at me, boys. No, no, no. She was doing what the Torah required. She was doing ritual cleansing of her own body in order to be worshipping Yahweh. So it was a common thing that that was done in the day. So don't get caught into thinking that somehow she was like a temptress or something. That's not the case at all. Anyway, so he sees this woman bathing on her roof. He thinks she's hot. This is my modern translation, in case you're wondering. And he foolishly chooses to pursue her. And pursue her, he does. He finds out who she is. She's a woman called Bathsheba, who's actually married to one of the mighty men in his own army, Uriah. And knowing all of this, what does he do? Does he go, oh, maybe I shouldn't go down that line. That's really not going to honour you, God. That's not going to be good for me. That's not going to be good for my mighty commander. That's his wife. No, he doesn't do that. He pridefully continues in his sinful pursuit and sends messengers to her who take her straight to David, who then lies with her. Um, And we're not just talking about lying down next to each other. You can understand probably what that actually means. Now, I think it's really important that we don't kind of downplay or sanitise what has actually happened here, what happened here. Too often... I think we shy away from calling David's sin for what it actually was. Think about this. This is is a woman who official messengers come to her from the king and basically say, you need to come with us. Like, you don't have a choice, you're coming with us. There's a massive power imbalance at play here. David's the king of Israel. He's calling a married woman to come to him and lie with him. What is she going to do? What is she going to do? Defy the king? 
Defy the king? What's going to happen if she defies the king? Say, oh no, no King David, I'm sorry, I'm a married woman. It's simply not an option for her. Well, at least it's not an option for her if she wants to keep living, stay alive. And this might be controversial for you, but this has been something that a lot of theologians have been wrestling with of late. And I, I personally agree with this assessment from Paul Carter, a writer at TGC Canada. Here's what he says. He says, King David sent armed guards to bring one of his subjects into his bed. In every civilised country in the world, that is considered rape. David was a rapist. You know, let's not downplay or sanitise David's sin. Let's actually call it for what it was. And so Bathsheba, after this, this horrible event, she sends word to David, hey, I'm pregnant, great, look what's happened. So what does David do in a tragic attempt to cover up these series of horrible choices? He intentionally sends Bathsheba's husband to the front line of battle, knowing that he's surely sending this man to his death. Not only does David sin tragically by raping one of his subjects, David continues to sin by actually becoming a murderer. And you might think, oh, well, that's not technically murder. God calls it through the prophet Nathan. He calls him a murderer. That's what the prophet says to him in actually making that decision that he knew would result in Uriah's death. And David's fall from grace is a tragic, tragic tale of what happens when, when pride and character flaws lead us away from following and trusting in God, when we stop becoming the people God calls us to be by compromising and going our own way. Now, Here's the good news in all of this, and this is, this is the key difference between Saul and David. And this is key for us to apply the teaching of 1 and 2 Samuel to our hearts today. While Saul continued in sin, while Saul continued in sin and maintained his posture of pride before God, David actually repented and humbled himself before his God. James 4.6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. David heard and he accepted God's pretty straight and confronting rebuke given through the prophet Nathan. Um, If you want to check that out, I encourage you to. That is a full-on rebuke. It doesn't leave too much room for thinking that David wasn't the one at fault in all that. God says, you are the man. (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, anyway, check it out. And so that's what happened. David heard and accepted the rebuke, and then he committed afresh to growth, to becoming, to learning from his mistakes and continuing in God's ways of becoming more like him. David essentially invited God in to do and perform the heart surgery that he desperately needed. And because of his humility, God gave grace to David. I mentioned earlier that David wrote many of the Psalms in the Bible. And he wrote one Psalm around the time that he was rebuked by God's prophet Nathan. And it was Psalm 51. 
Now, the, the entire psalm is worth reading and reflecting on in light of what we've explored today. So have a look at that in your own time. Be sure to read it. But I just want to draw our attention to a few key verses as we close today. And they're verses 10 to 12 from Psalm 51. Here's what David writes. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Saul was proud. He had many shortcomings and weaknesses and he didn't deal with them. And he ended up broken and far from God. David too, at times, was proud. He had many shortcomings and weaknesses. But unlike Saul, he acknowledged them, he owned his sin, and humbled himself before his God. And what did God do in response? James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God restored and exalted David. He showed David undeserved favour, his grace. Friends, I'm going to ask the question again, and even as I ask this, I'm asking this of myself too. Are you aware of your own character flaws and vulnerabilities? Are you, with God's help, actively dealing with them and growing in God's likeness? Or are you proudly refusing to deal with them and you've actually realised that you've stopped becoming? We're going to have a moment of, of prayer just for anyone who might like to respond in just a minute. And I was praying during the week and I felt like God just wanted to give all of us a moment to, to do what David did afresh, to simply return to him, to simply devote ourselves afresh to him this morning and say, God, you know, there's so many things in my life right now that, that don't bring honour to you, that don't bring glory to you, but I want you to do that work in me. I want to be shaped. I want to become. I want to be more like Jesus Christ. So would you do that work in my heart for your glory, Jesus, for my good and for the good of the world too? So we're going to do that in a minute because in the end, God longs to see all of us growing in his son's likeness and he's willing to do whatever the heart surgery is that's required to help us continue on our becoming journey. And all we need to do is humbly approach him and invite him to do what he alone can do. James 4, 6 is true for all of us. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So let's humble ourselves this morning and let's receive that beautiful grace that he gives to anyone who would approach him humbly. Let's just have some maybe some background music, and then we'll just wait on Holy Spirit and just respond as he leads us.
God, I pray that each of us, each of us would learn from the overall posture of both Saul and David. And Lord, that we would recognize in our own hearts, in our own motivations, things that just don't bring you honor, things, Lord, that actually could bring devastation or real brokenness to our own lives and our relationships with others. And Lord, just help us. Holy Spirit, do that heart. It's creating us a clean heart. Do that work in us, God, continually, so that we might not be proud, we might not be arrogant, we might not, we'd resist the urge to think we can do all this without you. But Lord, we would humble ourselves before your throne of grace, knowing that you give grace to the humble and you will exalt those who are humble. So God, we we just praise you, Lord, for your desire to see us be people who would be continually becoming, continually growing in, in Jesus' image. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that work in each of our hearts. Bring things to mind, Lord, that, that are flaws in our own character, in our own motivations that need work. And Lord, we pray, as always, that by your Spirit, you would do that work And then we would give you the glory, Lord, as we see you just shaping us to be more and more like your son. And then that would have a beautiful flow-on effect, Lord, that as we are looking more like your son, other people would see that and then they'd be attracted to your son. And that, yeah, just out of this, Lord, the beautiful beautiful flow-on effect would come about and bring great kingdom fruit for your name's sake. So guide us, Holy Spirit, do the work in our hearts and may we remember that you resist the proud but give grace to the humble. We say all of these things and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.